All right, brothers and sisters, let's talk about cars. Okay, some of you may be like, I have a dream motorcycle or a dream scooter. Okay, a dream car. Imagine you are sitting at the grand unveiling of a brand new type of car. Okay, you're sitting in your chair, you're clutching that brochure in your hand. You paid a lot of money to get the ticket to be at this launch of this brand new type of car. The announcer comes to center stage and he says, introducing the car of the future. And he whips away the cover. And there we see the car of the future. Da -da -da. Oh, we're having a problem here with the thing. Okay, during the video, we can just edit this out and go straight to the car of the future, right? All right, cool. No problem. Uh, yeah. But this is a great opportunity. I would like everybody to pull out your cell phone. This is a great moment. Please pull out your cell phone. It's okay, the pastor's giving you permission to pull out your cell phone in church. Oh, you might be like, oh, okay, oh, let me tell you the, the Wi-Fi password. That'll make everybody move. Okay, pull out your phone. I'm gonna tell you the Wi-Fi password, okay? It's a trans resort, okay? And the Wi-Fi password is Arsa Bali. A-R-S-A Bali. A-R-S-A-B-A-L-I, all one word, all right? Okay, so as you have your phone, you've got, you're connecting to the internet, okay? The internet is trans resort Bali. And then the password is Arsa Bali, A-R-S-A-B-A-L-I. Now that you're connected, please go to our Facebook page, okay? Go to our Facebook page and then scroll down a little bit and find that send message button and click it, okay? And that's how you open up the chat bot. All right, fantastic. And uh, <laughs> that'll be cool. And then after service, I'll see all the buzzes that come on the phone. All right, good. Are we ready to continue? Okay, dramatic entrance again. Da, 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 da. The announcer says, unveiling the car of the future. Whoosh. And he pulls away the veil, and there we see <gasps> this. And you turn to your friend and you whisper, um, the car looks pretty normal to me. And the announcer says, this car may look normal, but what makes this car different is what it runs on. No, it's not fueled by gasoline or petrol, but by nanoparticles. And everybody goes, whoa, the crowd gasps. And the announcer continues, because of this new type of technology, it is 100% clean, it is 100% efficient, and it is 100% indestructible. You will never need to buy a new car again. And your friend turns to you and goes, Wow, how is this even possible? Now this brings us to a massively interesting, very crucial teaching point in scripture. What we are going to cover today not only has an impact for our afterlife, after we die, but it very much impacts our present life. And the question is, what kind of body do we get in the resurrection? And what does it run on? Ladies and gentlemen, would you please stand with me as we read from the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35. We'll read this out loud together on your marks. Get set, go. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies? Oh, sorry, go back a bit. What kind of bodies will they have? Fool, you put a seed into the ground, but it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. 
And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our perishable bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to be imperishable. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. This is the word of the Lord. As you find your seat, turn to your new neighbor and answer this question. I want you to name as many seeds as you can that you have personally planted. Go. All right, now before we get to the seed metaphor, everybody's planted some seeds, right? Everybody has planted one seed. If you have never, ever, ever, ever planted a seed, can you please raise your hand so we can all make fun of you? No, you're, no, really? You've never planted a seed, ever? Never? Wow, okay, so for 10% of you guys here, you're like, what is a seed? You know, how does this metaphor work? Okay, well, let's get into this. Theoretically, maybe you've been in biology class and you looked at the diagrams of planting seeds and what comes up, okay? So at least think about that. Before we get to the seed metaphor, okay, let's look at the worldview of these Corinthian Christians. Let's remember once again, Paul is writing to Christians. Now, most of them, even though they were now Christians, they had a background, a philosophy that was Greek, okay, which is somewhat obvious because Corinth is a city in Greece. So when it comes to their worldview of their physical, bo of their physical bodies and what's going to happen, okay, remember, they just got saved, they just became Christians, so they had this background, this worldview of what happens when they die. And many of the people in that church would still assume that, just like Greek philosophy, our spirits are good, but our bodies are bad. Meaning they believe that when they died, that they would become pure spirit, 100% pure spirit and no body, which is in their minds, that's great to float around in heaven. And it's this lame physical body that they could not wait to get rid of so that they could be free. This is Greek dualism. And some of this Greek dualism is actually still very alive in pop, Christian pop culture today, surprisingly. But, what makes it more complicated back in this early church in Corinth is that those Greek Christians had another layer of faulty thinking that was hindering them. On top of the Greek philosophy and this, uh, this image about the spirit being good and the body being bad, they had something very spiritual. You know what they were? The flashy power gifts. 
Okay, look back to chapters 12 and 13 for more information on that. Or if you're watching this video, click back a few videos. Chapters 12, chapters 13. And because these Corinthian Christians had these flashy spiritual power gifts, this was just further evidence to them that their spirits were all that mattered. Body, meh. Spirits, good. All that was standing between them and their ultimate spiritual existence in heaven was this dumb body. Now remember, this is Greek thinking, not God's. So they mockingly asked this question to Paul. How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Come on, Paul. Bodies die. They rot away in the grave. How on earth is that body supposed to get resurrected? I mean, come on, Paul. Think about it. A sailor dies at sea, and his body is eaten by fishes. Then his molecules become part of the fish. And then a fisherman comes along and catches the fish. And then the fisherman eats the fish. And now those molecules are part of the fisherman. And if the fisherman dies and is buried in the ground, then guess what? His molecules are absorbed by grass. And then along comes a goat and eats the grass. And now those molecules are part of a goat. Come on, Paul. The idea of a resurrected body is nonsense. What kind of ridiculous-looking body would come from this mess? And that's their question, their mocking question. Well, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. As you read through Paul's epistles, his letters, there's something you'll notice about Paul. If you are going to mock Paul, you can expect a very, very sharp answer from Paul. And so Paul writes to them, and he says this word, Fool! You imagine this word in the scripture? Fool! You put a seed into the ground, but it doesn't grow into a plant unless it does what? Dies first. And Paul is saying, look around you, guys. You see a type of resurrection every single day. A new form of life, a plant, springs forth from death. This is so obvious, Corinthians. And God is doing this type of resurrection miracle for you on a daily basis. A seed gets buried in the ground, and what comes up? Not another seed, but roots, stems, leaves, and fruit. Now, back in those days, I'm pretty sure 100% of the people reading this would have planted a seed, unlike you guys here. Okay, so they understand this. They're like, yeah, I see this every single day. And if you can see all this come from a mere seed, why is it so hard to imagine that a dead body can be transformed? Now, Paul's words are kind of harsh, and you might be thinking, man, Paul, man, calling people fools? Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus tell us not to call people fools? Now, what Jesus did say, he told us not to call each other raka. Okay, which is actually an insult, and we translate that into English, fool. Okay, but Paul here is not saying raka. He's saying aphron. Okay, aphron, kind of like Zac Efron. Okay? okay, I want you to turn to your friend and say aphron. Okay, this is not an insult. It means illogical. Illogical. Paul is making the argument that their mockery is not based on reason. And so Paul reasons with them and gives them this metaphor. The seed 
dies, the plant comes out. And then he continues, what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. This is a brilliant analogy. I'll give this to Paul. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, he writes this amazing analogy. The seed that goes into the ground is completely different than the plant that comes out of the ground. And you can see the point that he's going to make in a minute. Our dead body that goes into the ground is going to be completely different than the resurrected body that comes out of the ground. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Okay, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to give them a a punch on their shoulder. Okay, touch that physical body of theirs. Go boom. Okay, physical body. If you're sitting next to a new person, I apologize. Okay, it's just like, okay, your body, think about that. This body's gonna go into the ground and it's going to come out something different as analogous to a seed coming into a plant. So you might be thinking, okay, we're going to be different, but I want you to think about this. Here's another fact for all of those who have actually planted seeds. Okay, theoretically speaking, if you plant a mango seed, you finish, man, I'm so sad that mango season is over. Oh man, it's heartbreaking. But if you take a mango seed, okay, and you plant it in the ground, only one type of tree is going to come out of that seed. What kind of tree? A mango tree, exactly. Which means, even though the mango seed and the mango tree are different, there is a continuity of sameness that carries through to death, that carries through death on on the other side. Wow. Huh. Think about that. That just blow your minds. Different, but the same. Different, but the same. You know what that speaks of? Who you are, your identity does not change. We sang a couple songs today about identity. Becca said it today. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. Think about that. On the other side, you will be different, but the same. Even though your body now and your resurrected body then will be different, there will be a continuity of you that carries through death. Barclay says it this way very shortly. I love this. You might want to take a picture of it. It's the same person who rises. It is still we who exist. So there is a difference, yet there is continuity. And this is the thought that is really worth meditating on when you go home. You sit down there with your journal, write a few questions, okay, about this. Before you say your bedtime prayers as part of your bedtime prayers, think about this, okay? I'm going to give you a few questions that I thought about in relation to this. If it's true that I continue on to the next side, okay, there's continuity. My body is resurrected into something completely different and transformed, but who I am is carried through. Does that mean that every experience that I have now, every experience somehow transfers into resurrected Steve? Does it mean that every book I read to develop my mind is somehow transferred into resurrected Steve? Does it mean that every act of obedience, every act, every act of humility, every act of service, every time God changes me, every time my character is formed here, 
does that somehow transfer into the character of resurrected Steve? Does it mean that every tattoo I get, no, just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. That's part of the body that will be resurrected. I wonder, though, I wonder about the tattoos. That would be really interesting. Definitely worth reflecting on. But let's stick to Paul's train of thought here. Paul continues to say, then God gives that seed the new body he wants it to have. The new body he wants it to have. Which means, no, you plant the seed, the seed does not reemerge from the ground as, a seed, a bigger seed. No, it gets a new body. Stems, plants, tree, fruits. Okay, and our body, what will it be like? Well, just a moment. But what is really interesting here, who gives the new body? God does. This is an act of God. What do you do? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Okay, who does all of the resurrecting? This is God's work. The resurrection is his plan. He's doing it for seeds, and he's doing it for us. And Paul said it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Okay, getting pretty excited. I'm just like, okay, can you continue, Paul? I mean, he's got me baited. He's giving me this illustration of a seed. I want to know what my new body is going to kind of ish look like or feel like or be like. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take some liberties and summarize what Paul says in Scripture. I just love what he does here, okay? Now remember, he told us to expect a new body. And now he's going to contrast our current body that dies in the ground, to the new body that is going to come out of the ground. And he gives three contrasts. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to go on unless you're ready for it. We just, do we want to go back to the thinking about the tattoos? Okay, no, we're going to go with it. Okay, contrast number one. What goes into the ground when you die? It's your body that is corrupted. He uses the word corrupted. Now, this word is not a moral word. We're not talking about corruption in the government, okay? It's a very specific physical word, a body that can be corrupted, meaning that your body breaks down. It wears out. It falls apart. It decays. It disintegrates. And one day, it will die. I'm sorry. Everybody dies. Oh, man. But when our body is resurrected, what new body comes out of the ground like a plant from a seed? And Paul writes this word, a body that is incorruptible. Fascinating. Incorruptible. It's not going to decay. It's not going to die. It's not going to fall apart. Okay, and this to me is possibly the most mind-boggling of the three contrasts that Paul is about to make here. He makes this corruptible versus incorruptible contrast. Now, what blows my mind about this is that we live in a universe that is subject to the law of entropy, meaning that everything breaks down. There is nothing in this universe that does not fall apart. In our known universe, nothing can last forever. Nothing. And here Paul is saying, no, our new bodies will indeed be immortal, eternal, indestructible. How on earth is this going to work? An indestructible body. Now, my understanding, this is my personal take on this, okay? We'll just go over for just a moment to sci-fi Steve's mind, Okay. 
My personal opinion of this is that in our new body, accidents can still happen. Hey, God is not going to put us in a bubble. We'll still live in a new heavens and a new earth where physical laws still take place, laws of nature, and accidents can still happen, meaning I can chop off my finger and experience pain. Ah! But I could take that finger and pop it back on and it will heal, just like Wolverine. I mean, if modern medicine can stick a thumb back on, this should not be too hard for an incorruptible body to handle. Make sense? Steve's personal take on this now. So far, I'm enjoying the sound of this new body that I'm about to inherit. That was contrast number one. Are you ready for contrast number two? All right, that's awesome. Contrast number two. What goes into the ground when you die? It's your body that is dishonorable. Remember what happened as soon as Adam and Eve sinned? They felt naked and ashamed. And when your body dies, it's a corpse, undignified, unclean, dishonorable. Our, our current bodies, they're humiliated, okay? They're broken, and we understand that. But that's what goes into the ground. And when our body is resurrected, what new body comes out of the ground like a plant from a seed? We will have bodies, this is Paul's word, that are glorious, glorious bodies. No shame, but radiant splendor. It will be a body that is to be honored, honorable. And we didn't have time to get into this today, but that body will be distinct. Such a cool thought. Distinct. That's contrast number two. Glorious. Are you ready for a glorious body? I sure am. You ready for contrast number three? Yes. All right, fantastic. Contrast number three. The Greeks were known for taking pride in their physical bodies. I don't know if you knew this, but um, if you like going to the gym, okay, the Greeks, they like their physical prowess, okay? They understood we love our physical bodies, okay? They took pride in it, which is kind of interesting because they also had this body bad, spirit good kind of thing. But the Greeks, they owned the Olympics. Yeah, that was their thing. The Olympics, Greek, okay? They only needed 300 men to defeat the Persians. Sparta! Okay, you watch the word movie 300? Man, those bodies, woo! They invented the gym. The gym was theirs. You go to the gym now, they started it. Okay, on and on and on. They took pride in their physicality. Interesting contrast there. But ultimately, our bodies are weak. Ultimately, our bodies are weak. I mean, a little virus, a spoon of water, and you're dead or a draft of poisonous gas, and then bam, we are so killable. We're weak. Now, especially in contrast to our minds, which continue to expand as we increase in years, our body does the opposite, and it falls to pieces in weakness as we age. But it's a good thing that our minds that keep growing are somehow transferred and what comes out of the ground when we are resurrected? A body of power. A powerful body. What goes in? A weak body. What comes out? A powerful body. A body of strength. A body that's not killable. Now, I guarantee we will not be limitless 
infinite, no, not like that, but we will definitely have fewer limitations in this new, resurrected, powerful body. Raised with power. I'm so excited for this because I'm looking forward to my new, glorious, resurrected, powerful body. And hopefully, I will have my abs back again. Hallelujah. I'm not sure how many abs a resurrected body is going to have. My hope is 50. <laughs> Just kidding. But now we come to the sentence that causes confusion. Verse 44 says, They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. And that little phrase there causes confusion, especially in English. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Now, what's confusing about this sentence is that people think that what Paul means when we're resurrected is that we will no longer have a body of flesh, but we will be raised as spirits only. Only spirit, no flesh. Kind of like see-through ghosts that float around like Casper. But this is not at all what Paul is saying. That's not what he's saying here. That's great. That is not at all what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, he's saying that our new physical bodies will be fueled by the Holy Spirit. They're spiritual bodies because they are fueled by the Holy Spirit. Just like our car of the future is still a car, but it's not fueled by petrol or gasoline, but by nanoparticles. In our resurrected bodies, we run on a different kind of fuel. It's a rather crude analogy, but what it shows is this. God has given us bodies right now that are fitted, suitable, appropriate for this life on this earth. But because we're going to a new life and a new earth, we're going to be needed to be fitted out completely differently. We're going to have to run on something else. We're going to have to be fueled by something different. And this is the entirely new type of body that God has planned for us. Our bodies will no longer be fueled by the psyche, but by the pneuma. Greek word for spirit there. Now, we don't have time to go deep into psyche and pneuma today. If you want to know more about that, please go talk to David Erickson, because he knows everything about that. But I'm sure you can figure it out. Okay, the point that Paul's about to say, let me show you this, okay? Now, remember, Paul just made a brilliant analogy about the seed, and then he made three contrasts with the body, and now he's going to back up his argument with Scripture. Paul loves to back up his argument with Scripture. I'm going to read to you the entire final paragraph all in one go, and then I'm going to explain it in 10 short words, okay, to make it, hopefully make it a little bit more clear and succinct. Okay, are you ready? Paul, this is Paul's final argument. The Scriptures tell us, Paul says, the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, and then the spiritual body comes later. Okay, there's still a body, not just spirit, but spiritual body. Okay, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth. While Christ, the second man, came from where? Heaven, fueled by something different, okay? Earthly people are like the earthly man, Adam. And heavenly people are like the heavenly man, Christ. Just as we are now like the earthly man, 
Someday, someday we will be like the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. Someday, not yet, but someday, we're getting there. Now, Paul loves proving his point with Scripture, as we all should. So allow me to summarize what Paul just said in 10 short words. Taking that paragraph, I'm going to condense it into this. Okay, Adam, psyche, natural body. Okay, that's our current body. Jesus, pneuma, spirit. Okay, our next body. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Let's summarize it right there. What this means, as you're looking at this, is every body is descended from Adam. Everybody is descended from Adam. Okay, grab your neighbor's arm again. Okay, just make their, their physical flesh and blood. Okay, and tell them your body is from Adam. Okay, your body is made of atoms and it's from Adam. Your body is descended from Adam. He was the first body and all of us have bodies like Adam did. Okay, therefore, every single one of us has an amazing, natural, suitable, appropriate, human, psyche kind of a body, which is awesome. Thank you very much, Adam. But, now let's look at Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ, for Christians, for those of us who have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, for those of us who have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For those of us who call in the name of the Lord and we are being saved. Well, Jesus Christ has a new kind of body for us. What kind of body? It's the exact same kind of body that Jesus Christ himself was resurrected with. And therefore, because we belong to Jesus we are getting ready to have the same new type of body that he has. Jesus' pneuma type of body. Jesus' type of body that is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' powerful, glorious, indestructible body. It's like when you go to that car show <laughs> and you unveil that new type of car. And you go to the car and it's like, I want one of those. Fueled by nanoparticles, I want one. But you know what? That car is on display. It has not been released to the general public yet. You cannot drive that car out of, the park, out, of the, out of that thing, no. You know what you can do to that car? You can go take photos with it, post it on Instagram. You can drool at it all you want. You can even put a down payment on it if you want. But it's not yet available to you. It's the prototype. And Jesus is the prototype. He is the first resurrected human. He is the progenitor of human bodies that are fueled by the Spirit. I want one. I'm standing in line. I just, I just hand out wait. I want one of those. Now we come, I want you to ask you this question, okay? If I were to ask you the question, who wants one of these new nanoparticle cars? Okay, I see his hand raised. He's like, yeah. You would be rather silly not to raise your hand and say, please, I want one of those. But then it would only take you a couple more seconds to raise the inevitable question. So, 
how much are one of those nanoparticle cars going to set me back? How much does it cost? Oh, there's a cost involved, isn't there? Now, most of us would probably not be able to get one of those nanoparticle cars. I'm sorry. Only an elite few would be able to get one of those nanoparticle cars. The rest of us could probably not even get a nanoparticle scooter. Well, how about that new resurrection body? How much do one of those new bodies cost? How much do they cost? It's free? Surely you're kidding. I mean, if anything, anything tells us in life, nothing is free. Somebody's going to have to pay for it. Oh, somebody did pay for it. Who? Who paid for it? Jesus. Well, what did it cost him? Wow. What did it cost him indeed? We get a free body, cost us nothing, cost Jesus Christ everything. And that right now is what we want to celebrate as we take communion. Can I ask the communion servers to please come forward? I'm going to ask the keyboarders to come up too. Because what we celebrate as we take the bread, the body of Christ, and the cup, the blood of Christ, we want to remember what it cost Jesus on the cross. I'm going to please show the scripture. You may be asking, who is allowed to take communion? I might be new to this church. If you are in Christ, if you call upon the name of Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to come and join with us. That's why it's communion. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, if you're in Christ, we love to celebrate with you. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, which is just a few chapters before the scripture we read today, that I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it into pieces and says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And then after supper, he took the cup. Can I show the next scripture, please? Thank you. He took the cup and he says, this is a new covenant between God and his people, a covenant an agreement confirmed in my blood. Do it to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We get to be resurrected because Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, the first, the prototype. Brothers and sisters, would you please stand with me? This is your first time, the way we, that we do this series. Please, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Just take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And then please return back to your seat, okay? And then we'll, we'll pray together for this, okay? So I'll please ask you to just step out to the front aisle. Please come around, take the bread and the cup, and then you can go back around the edges to your seat. Thank you.